0: Take out a Bible and open it up with me. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. And if you didn't bring your Bible, take the one out in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take it home. And I mean that sincerely. Um, People have given so that we can buy these Bibles and give them away. And we want you to have it in front of you. We're going to read a portion as our scripture reading, but we're going to go through um, pretty much the entirety of chapter 18 in our time together today. While you open that up, if you'll join me in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank and praise you that you have come to us, that you are with us, that, that your presence is here and in, in your spirit, and that you are speaking to us through your word. And we ask, God, that you would speak to us now. God, that you would change us, that we might become more like you when we leave than when we came. It is in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Matthew 18 beginning at verse 15. Jesus says these words, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, you're going to have to follow me for just a minute, but as I was reading this passage, and not just the passage, but the context around the passage, one of the first things that came to my mind was the movie Home Alone. How how many of you remember? you got to remember Home Alone, right? Show of hands. I'm a little worried about you if you're not raising your hand right now. We have to have a movie night here, Home Alone. Came out over 30 years ago. You may not know this fun fact um, that the house that they used um, as, as, as the home for the first movie is in Winnetka, Illinois, which is just outside of Chicago. It's not very far. And so there's a, there's a picture of it with my family. There's little two-and-a-half-month-old Grayson wondering why we've taken him out there. Uh, we talked to the Winnetka Police Department. They were out there on that block. This is a residential neighborhood. And 30 years later, they still have thousands of people who come to that site each and every year to see this house from this movie. Um, But if it's been a while since you've seen it, you'd be forgiven. It's been out for a long time. I'll remind you of the premise. It's very simple. There's parents and family that all decide to go on a vacation while their youngest son, Kevin, he's this adorable 8-year-old little boy. Say, aw because he's cute, right? Macaulay Culkin. He was left home alone to face the dangers of an evil world while being separated from his loved ones. And part of what made me think of all this is the whole movie begins... With a conflict. Remember, it was the night before they're all leaving, and the McAllister house has become the, the collection point for extended family. They're all on their way on a trip to France. I don't know what kind of family all goes to France on Christmas, but this is that family, and so that's what they're doing. And everything is crazy and chaotic. And Kevin gets caught into the middle of some of the trouble that was taking place at the time. He snaps at his mom. He says, I wish that I did have a family at all. And he wakes up in the morning and his wish is granted. His family is gone. Little does he know in the chaos, they forgot him when they left. Now, I was reading about this movie. I didn't realize it at the time. They have five kids. He's the youngest. I have five kids. And I always judged this movie and the parents in the movie. I don't judge them anymore. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to try not to forget my kids when I go to France next. But I kind of get it okay so so anyway like like uh, that's just the first few minutes of the movie the bulk of the movie is all about what happened once they realized that he wasn't with them anymore and it's all about the struggle with evil the robbers in his neighborhood and this mother and her long journey back to be home and reunited with their son and of course like any good christmas movie That's how it all ends, right? The family is reunited together as one, and they've all learned some skills for survival, and they all have a greater appreciation for family. Well, here's here's why I thought about this movie when I was reading this passage. When we we started, this is the last Sunday in a series that we've been doing on conflict, and my hunch is that you're not unlike me, and that you were hoping when you saw, if you've been around for a couple weeks now, That we're gonna do this series dealing with conflict. The hope would be that we would learn some lessons from God's Word that would reduce or eliminate the conflict that we're in life facing together. How many people were hoping that that would happen? Show of hands. Okay, some of you did. Some of you, it would make sense that we would hope to have less conflict in our lives. It's actually biblical that we would want that. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. We long for heaven. We're wired to be in a place where there is no conflict. He says this, we grow weary in our present bodies. We long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. Now, those of us who are aging, we like to reference that passage when we think about our physical bodies and the idea that we're going to get a new body in heaven. Amen? Amen. But it isn't just about the body itself. We get weary in the way in which our bodies butt up against other bodies in conflict with one another. And so you look at 2 Corinthians 5 and it's a reminder that Jesus came 2,000 years ago and he lived and he died and he rose again to end the divide between us and God. And because that's true, then what we're called to do is to hope for the return of Jesus. He's coming back to end the division once and for all, not just between us him but between us and each other between heaven and earth itself and so it says this at the end of that chapter verse 18 paul says all of this is a gift from god who brought us back to himself through christ and god has given us this task of reconciling people to him it's the ministry of reconciliation And the way that it's related is if we look at Matthew 18, the reading that we just read a few minutes ago, what we'll learn is that if our job is to go out and reconcile the world to God, to show them the good news of the gospel, we will learn that it is directly correlated to the way in which we reconcile between one another. If you don't believe me, Just think about the good message that you can share with others if you're running around fighting with people all the time. You lose your witness. They're together. They're interrelated. And and that isn't just me talking about the obvious, but if you look at this passage, what you'll see is Jesus literally promises his presence with us at the end of conflict. How many of you have heard the verse before, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be. For show of hands, right? It's a proof text. A lot of people, they, they know that verse. They don't remember that it comes out of conflict that Jesus promises to be with us. His presence is promised as we follow through the steps toward reconciliation. Jesus reminds us that what we bind on earth relates will be bound in heaven. It's what the Father has promised to do. And this is all the context of what we read just a few minutes ago in Matthew 18. These are the instructions for peacemaking. And if you've grown up in the church, or you've been around the church for a while, this even became a buzzword for a really long time. And so if you get into an argument with somebody else, somebody might come up to you, and they might say to you, have you followed Matthew 18? Have you ever heard that before? If you haven't heard that before, it's because there are some very simple steps that Jesus teaches us. It begins with verse 15, the first step. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. He gives us the first step toward peacemaking, reconciliation, conflict resolution. Step one, say it with me. Go to the person. Go to the person. And I love this. Because how much of life feels ambiguous? How often do we look at the faith that we have and go, I don't know how to live that. It's not always so easy to discern what we're called to do. But Jesus gives us some very simple steps when it comes to conflict. And the first one is this, go to the person one-on-one, in private, for the purpose of winning them over. Um, I read a joke some years ago that kind of correlates with this. About a sixth grade teacher was posing a math Problem to her class. She said there was this millionaire um, who passed away and he left his inheritance. It was $10 million. Uh, he left this inheritance to several people. He left one fifth to his wife, one fifth to his son, one sixth to his butler, and the rest to charity. The question she asked was, How much or what does every one of them get? And after a very long silence, little Joey raised his hand. He said, I know what everybody gets. Everybody gets a lawyer. (laughs) Because it's true, (laughs) right? That's how it would be dealt with. We also know that if that's the way in which the math problem is solved, chances are the lawyers are going to make sure a CPA gets involved and the math is going to be right and the rich man's family is going to walk away without any relationship with one another. We know, right? This is not the way in which we should start a conversation about peacemaking. If you don't believe me, next time you're in a fight with somebody, why don't you try it? Look at them and say, I'm going to get a lawyer and see if that helps. Usually doesn't set the tone to coming back together. It's why Jesus' first step is not there. His first step is, if it is possible, go to the person. And it's not to win them over to your side of the argument either. If you look at the Greek word at the end here, and the NIV doesn't do a great job of translating it because it's the word for brother. It's to come back together as a sibling. This is not reconciling between you and the dude who cut you off in Walmart that you've never seen before and you're never going to see again. This is the reconciliation, the restoration of families, the restoration of churches, the restoration of nations and neighborhoods. Do we not need this? We need this. And he gives us the steps to do it. And even if you've never read Matthew 18, you probably instinctively know that what you're supposed to do is not gossip and not beat around the bush, but you should, if it is possible, go to the person. We don't like doing it, but we know that it's the right thing to do. And we also know that it doesn't always work. And so thankfully, Jesus gives us more steps to follow. If that doesn't work, verse 16, he says this, if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Step two is this, say it with me, take one or two others along. Take one or two others Along. And it's not to beat up on the person. These are neutral third parties. This is the opposite of the joke. When you get a lawyer, it's to protect your perspective. This call comes straight out of the Old Testament. You'll see it's quoted in your Bibles because anybody who heard Jesus say it would know exactly what it meant. This was built into the Old Testament law that you would bring people that serve, uh, that, that, that have the same faith that have a love for both parties involved. And by bringing them together, it would ensure justice is served. It would protect each other from being driven by your emotions. And it would ultimately be an effort to make sure that the relationship continues and is restored so that people walk away together. And so that's the second step. The first step is go to the person. If that doesn't work, take one or two others along. And if that doesn't work, we know that doesn't always work either. Step three, Jesus says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Step three, say it with me. Tell it to the church. Now the only other place, and I I never looked at this before when I preached on this passage, the only other place in the gospel where the word church is found in the original language is is in Matthew 16. It's just two chapters before. And the context is Jesus is talking about what people are referring to him as. Who is he? And then Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Savior of the world. And he says that Peter, he gives him the name Peter, which means rock. And he says, I'm going to build my Church, the word church upon you. You're going to be the rock. You're going to be the foundation. And what that tells us is if that's the foundation of the church, the foundation of the church is grace. Because if you know anything about Peter, you know that he was far, far from perfect. When Jesus was being killed on the cross, he literally denied even knowing him. I don't even know the guy. You think I was following him? I don't even know. I'm just not related to him, not connected to him. None of that. Peter time and time again would stumble. And yet, it is that foundation on which God would build his church. And he says that even the gates of hell will not overcome it. And the reason is because it will be a community of grace. Not a community of people who know everything they're supposed to do, but it's people who need grace and people who extend the same grace that they themselves have received. There's no better place to receive the the opportunity to, to come together in conflict and resolve it than in a community of people who know that they're broken too. And yet, unfortunately, sometimes that's not enough either. How many times have you gone to a person and that didn't work and you brought one or two others along and they were neutral and they loved the Lord and all of those things and it still didn't work and so you go and you tell the church and that still doesn't work. Jesus gives us a final step. This is the hardest one. Verse 17, the second part, if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Step four, this is hard, say it with me. Walk away. Walk away. Because we all know that sometimes we can't be drawn back together on our own. We won't be drawn back together on this side of eternity. And there's a lot of reasons for that, right? You know, they talk about the, the stages of grief. Um, you might be familiar with the stages of grief and how they don't go in order. And, and I think you could say some similar things about Jesus' instruction here with conflict. This does not fit perfectly into a box to every situation, right? We, we know that life is, is complicated, and chaotic, and, and maybe for the person you're, you need reconciliation with, maybe they have no desire to meet you in that place, and so there's nothing you can do. Or, or maybe maybe they're not safe for you to physically be around, and so you shouldn't be around them. And so there's, there's a fourth step here, and Jesus says that, that you treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. And for years, I preached this passage And I thought about the way that it communicates to us excommunication, right? Walk away, leave them alone, which there might be a sense of that that's true to your situation. But do you know who Jesus came to save? He came to save the pagans and the tax collectors. And so how do you treat somebody that is so far gone in conflict that you can't even bring them back together? What do you do? You pray for them. You pray for their salvation. You pray that God will do a work in their life that only God can do, that he might restore the things that only God can. That step can be applied to anyone and to anything. And so those are the four steps of conflict, biblical conflict. This is how we deal with it. Step one, go to the person. Step two, bring one or two others along. Step three, go to the church. Step four, walk away. You got it? Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, do we have a baptism? Let's do it. Let's share communion. Are we done yet? I'm kidding. You guys guys are too good. Are we done yet? I'm glad Carol's laughing. Is it that easy? I wish it was. I wish that it was that easy. But just like the movie Home Alone, no matter what the steps are, the movie is not so much about the steps, is it? It's about the journey walking through the steps. The bulk of the movie is not about the steps themselves. It's about how hard the steps are to live through. And the journey is, is like home alone and that no matter how a conflict begins between us and somebody else, the goal is always so much more than just following the steps. It's so much more than about determining who's right and who's wrong. A number of years ago, I read an article, read a a quote by a pastor, his name is Reggie Joyner. He's a children's pastor. He actually founded Orange, which is the curriculum we use in our kids' ministry here at St. John's. He said this about conflict with our kids. And so parents, grandparents, listen to this. We don't fight to win the argument. We fight to win the heart. You can win the argument but lose the heart. Let me say that again. We don't fight to win the argument. We fight to win the heart. You can win the argument but lose the heart. I have five kids. It is easy to win an argument with a (laughs) five-year-old. I've been fighting with five-year-olds for a long time. But this convicts me because I know that it is even easier to crush their heart. And you know that it's true. And maybe I'm just sensitive, I don't know. But in my experience, it's not that terribly hard for my heart to be crushed in conflict either. And it's not that hard probably for the person that sinned against you to have their heart crushed. And chances are I'm not alone. Your heart has probably been crushed too. How many of your hearts have been crushed by conflict in the last two months? Show of hands. The way this relates to peacemaking is that this verse that we read, these verses that we read with these steps are not isolated from the rest of the context. This is an ongoing conversation. It's one big teaching. And the very beginning of the teaching, why you need to have your Bible open in front of you, begins in chapter 18, verse 1. The disciples asked Jesus a question. They said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him. And he placed the child among them and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now, we all know Jesus' call, right? We've heard it before. We've said it before. Let the little children come to me. That's true. Jesus did say that. But in this particular passage, it is not just an invitation for children to come to Jesus. It is an invitation for us to come to Jesus like little children. Did you catch that? We are all children in the eyes of God. And, and, and just, just think about it. Back to the movie Home Alone, right? Would the story have been different if instead of 8-year-old Kevin McAllister, it was 47-year-old Kevin McAllister? (laughs) Would it have been different if he was 64 or 32 or 70 years old and his parents and him got into a fight and they decided to go on vacation without him? What would you have said if that was the way the story went? You would have said, serves them right. I hope they go on vacation and have a great time, right? The only reason the movie makes any sense to anybody is because it's a child. And you know that a child is incapable of taking care of themselves. And and I know Hollywood does its thing, right? It makes this into a really great and funny and entertaining story. But in real life, this would be a deeply concerning situation. Like, like, I remember the scene, right, where they're calling the police department in Chicago and the police officer's just eating a donut, right? As if, as if it doesn't matter and they don't really care, right? They're just going to go knock on the door. You know what would happen in real life if that happened? Child protective services would be involved. They would be at the door. This would be a significant issue. Why? Because stakes are always higher when you're dealing with a child. Jesus says we're all called to come like children, And then he goes on and he says this. He says, if anybody causes these little ones, those who believe in me, that's you and me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of these things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. Now, does that not remind you of all of the things eight-year-old Kevin McAllister did to the robbers? (laughs) right? Like it wasn't a millstone, it was an iron straight to the forehead, but you get the idea, right? And, and you read that, you watch that in the movie, and it all seems acceptable. Nobody even questions any of it because it's a child. And woe to any adults who is going to do anything to harm a child. And so you watch that movie and you're like, every trap, every fall, every injury comes with a thought we're all unified in, serves them right, right? Well, we read these verses and sometimes we pull, pull these out of context too and we say, well, that's the way God is talking to the world, All the things that are against Jesus, all the things that are against the church, all the things that are against the things that we study, God has a judgment on them. And yet that's just a small part of this chapter. Look at what he does. He turns it right back around on us. He says, if your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Throw it away. It would be better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It would be better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Oh, this is hyperbole, of course. Don't go cut off your hands. Don't go gouge out your eyes. Jesus is not saying for us to do that. Jesus isn't telling us to do it literally. But the point is made, and you get the point. It translates, doesn't it? We understand what he's saying, and he's not finished making the point, right? He continues. He says, Come like children. He says, woe to any of the things that draw us apart. He says, if you are part of what's drawing you apart, cut it off, gouge it out. Do all of that. And then he continues in verse 10. He says, do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Have you ever heard of guardian angels? This is the biblical reference to guardian angels. It's a biblical thing. The only thing we don't know is how many angels God has sent for us. There isn't just one. God has an army of angels. And the promise is that they're watching you. And they have an eye on the Father and his promises in heaven. And so you have all of these things. And it all leads into verse 12. He says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep, one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look after the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. And so let's, let's put everything we learn in chapter 18 together. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Anybody, just yell it out. A child, right? A child is the greatest in the kingdom of God, and all of us are children. That's the way God sees us in Christ. That is who we are. And so Jesus says, as children, woe to anyone or anything on earth that gets in the way of that relationship, whether it be pride or politics, whether it be selfish ambition or material possession, whether it has anything to do with other people or whether it has to do with us. And if it has to do with us, cut it off, gouge it out, run away. God then says he cares so much about reconciliation that he has sent his angels concerning you, Psalm 91. He cares so much that if you are the one lost sheep, he will leave the 99 and go and bring you back and rescue you, and it is out of that context that he goes in the same breath, in the same thought, in the same teaching, and he says, step one, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Step one, go to the person. Step two, bring one or two others along with you. Step three, tell it to the church. Step four, walk away. Is the reason to win an argument? No, it's to win the heart. That's why Jesus ends that section by saying this, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. What we learn as followers of Jesus is that when we are broken in relationship with others, it is always worth pursuing reconciliation with others because God decided that you were worth pursuing reconciliation with him. And so anyone who follows Jesus needs to know that conflict is never about winning, but it is always about a search and rescue mission where we are reminded that God sent his son Jesus to rescue us And our call is to emulate that rescue as we pursue reconciliation with others. Amen.